You are listening to Behind the Product, a podcast from Lenore about the people and ideas that are shaping the future of retail. Hosted by Anama Akeke and Abiela Doherty, co-founders of Lenore. Hello, welcome to the second episode of Behind the Product. Today we have a special guest named Ali Kurgsman. She's the co-founder of Bulletin, um, which is a retail technology company that makes it easier for digital native brands to access physical retail space through its wholesale marketplace. And she's also the author of a book called How to Build a Goddamn Empire based on creating your own brand with high-tech smarts, elbow grease, infinite hustle, and a whole lot of heart. So by all means, Hi, Ali. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. It's nice to be here with you. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. So that was a bit of a mouthful right there. A lot going on. There's a lot. I love it, though. Do you mind going on? Let's start with Bulletin and how that came about and what exactly is Bulletin in the simplest form? Yeah. So Bulletin today is a two-sided wholesale marketplace. So on one side of the marketplace, we have brands like your customers, for example, who are producing amazing products, whether that's jewelry, wellness, apparel, apothecary items, and they're eager to distribute those products to retailers. That might be a boutique, a fitness studio, maybe it's a, you know, TikTok creator who tries on inventory in a cute video and sells it through a link in bio. Retailer, I feel like the definition of become re- of retailer has become very fluid. That's one side of the marketplace. Brands that have products they want to sell wholesale to new distribution partners like retailers. And then on the other side of the marketplace, we have these retailers who are interested in sourcing new great inventory for their stores, whether that's a physical store, an online store, a social media channel. Um, and our platform makes it easy for those two parties to find each other connect, do business and transact. So we handle everything from, you know, a brand getting discovered to the retailer placing an order with that brand to, you know, inventory and order management to payments. So it's a full stack wholesale tool for brands and retailers alike. Perfect. That really does make a lot of sense. And I love that you guys started this space and really have gone, I guess, knees deep in bulletin because I see it everywhere. And I guess I wanted to know how did you guys start and when did you start and kind of what made you guys want to begin bulletin? Yeah. So what we do today is not the business that we launched. And I feel like that's the case with so many brands and so many companies. So back in 2015, I started at a tech company called Contently and my co-founder and our CEO, Alon, started on the same day as me. Long story short, she had run an e-commerce business prior to joining Contently and she was eager to do something entrepreneurial again. And I was 24. I felt like, what do I have to lose? And the first version of Bulletin was actually an e-commerce website and supplemental newsletter that showcased the coolest emerging brands all over the country. We would write you know, long form interviews with those brands. I would write articles about these different businesses. And then consumers could like shop from the newsletter or shop from the website. And the goal has always been from way back then, we started that at some point in 2015, brands grow, get more sales, get more customers, build brand awareness. We ended up launching pop-up markets in 2016 to help brands not just showcase themselves online, but showcase themselves in physical space. We ran pop-up markets every single weekend for 2016 
And it was a great way to market the newsletter and the e-commerce site as well, of course. And then the pop-up markets actually evolved into stores. So a lot of people know Bulletin as a brick and mortar retail store because we ran our own stores for about two and a half, three years. And we essentially unlocked the unique insight that led to us building the marketplace, which we launched at the end of 2019, which is it's really hard for brands to get distribution. If you're a small brand, if you don't use a platform like Bulletin, you have to pay for a really expensive showroom. You have to pay for trade shows. You have to hire a wholesale rep. And so many brands and makers just want to focus on like making great products and building a great business and brand. They don't really have the resources, the time, the energy to like figure out who their distribution partners should be, pitch those distribution partners, land deals with those distribution partners. So Alana and I felt like, you know, it should be just as easy for a brand to get into retailers and create wholesale relationships as it is for them to launch an Etsy or Shopify site. So that was kind of the motivation behind building Bulletin. We knew that we were offering this immense value to brands by letting them sell in our stores. And we wanted to unlock that opportunity even further and make it even easier for brands to not even not just sell into our store, but sell into stores all over the country. I love that because what you guys did, you kind of lowered the barrier of entry for starting a brand because and you guys are kind of like the middleman in the sense of you're in between the brands and everything else that they would have to do as far as like on the business side, distribution side, even marketing in some cases. And so that's very helpful. And that's very, that's, I really love how you guys started that and the vision behind that. So as far as being a woman in tech, how was your experience and essentially going through the journey, especially with a retail company or retail startup? How were you guys able to communicate value and really let a lot of these VCs understand where you guys are coming from? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I know we've chatted offline about this a lot. I feel like my my emotions and my reactions to it tend to change like every quarter. So I guess I can speak to the different ways I have felt and then share where I am today. So my emotions have ranged from indignance, like you know, I, we were two non-technical female founders. We did Y Combinator, which is like a super prestigious and competitive incubator program or sorry, accelerator program in Mountain View. And being in that environment had its pluses. Like we got access to so much great mentorship. The program connected us with investors. It really taught us how to pitch and sell our company, but We were one of only two fully female founded companies in our batch that year. And the program has definitely done a lot to increase diversity of the different founders that they work with and bring into the program. But at the time, I think it was a pipeline issue. There just weren't as many women starting tech businesses or pursuing entrepreneurship. So yeah, back in 2016, like I definitely felt kind of indignant about it, less because of YC or VCs, but more how other founders treated us candidly. So there's been that emotion. There has been a lot of like pride as well. I think you know, raising multiple rounds of financing, knowing how difficult that is for women founders, especially non-technical founders, the highs and lows that we've been through, there's an element of just like pride. I'm like being so proud of what me and Alana have accomplished despite having to face very real challenges. I felt very like, I don't want to say stupid at times, but like naive. I think that there have definitely been instances where 
I felt naive because people in the industry or in this ecosystem have made me feel that way. But I also think I felt naive because I didn't work, you know, in product at a big tech company prior to starting Bulletin. I hadn't, you know, liaised with investors before. This is like really me and Alana's first rodeo, despite it being like a six year rodeo at this point. And so I think there was definitely a learning curve. And rather than, um, like riding that curve and feeling inspired to educate myself. I think I definitely, I don't know, let myself feel like defensive because feeling naive is always a bad feeling. And I think now I'm in a place where I accept what I don't know. I learn from my mistakes. I don't let myself feel naive. I give myself grace and and remind myself that because I'm a woman, because I didn't come from tech, because I wasn't really given extensive STEM education or inspiration as a kid, like we're all wading through these waters for the first time, like for our generation of women founders. And so I think the feelings of pride are what I end up with when I when I really let myself think about it now. But it's tough. I mean, there's definitely, I think women founders have a very different experience than male founders. I think in a lot of cases, there's work to be done. And I would put the labor on the VCs for sure. But there's also a part of me that doesn't blame them or want to throw them under the bus because it's their job to do pattern matching, right? Like they've been doing this for decades. And if their unicorn billion dollar exits have founders that are two white men, then like they're going to keep investing in two teams of two white men. I also try to approach my experience with a little bit of, I don't want to say blamelessness, but like in the same way that I give myself grace, I try to give the ecosystem and the industry some grace because VCs are trying to make money. They're trying to make insane returns for their limited partners that are putting money into their funds. And it's kind of everyone's fault that there haven't been more women generating those returns for those companies. And so I I do understand to some extent where the pattern matching comes from, even if I think it's wrong and, and obviously needs to change. Definitely, definitely. And it, you know, it, no one really preps you for any of this. We kind of just like, you know, you just go through the, I guess the whole waves of everything and you learn as you're going through and you try to learn as quickly as you can and fail as quick as you can as you go exactly. through. So it's, and you know, that's the whole entrepreneurship journey in the sense that like, maybe, and I'm even being generous here, you know, 40% of the business It's not until you actually go inside and you take the day by day steps. There's, some days you have to like be a paralegal. Some days you have to be, yep. you know, a salesperson to these VC. Another day you have to be, you know, a hiring manager. And so obviously not everyone would know how to do everything, but like you just learn as you go along. And then, you know, you find those people that will help you along the way. Like Ali, you've helped us, as, you know, just speaking to us and telling us your experience and even people that will take chances on you. Cause that's, a, a, at a certain point, you do need someone to take a chance on you. And whether that be your customers or maybe a VC or whoever it is, that first yes is always a nice yes, you know, and some form of validation. So I'm going to switch gears here and I want to ask about what would you say are some of the three top three qualities you would need for someone that wants to get into the startup life and um, wants to be a tech founder? What do you think are three key qualities that would be helpful? Oh, that's such 
such a good question. I mean, I think the first one is resourcefulness. Like the, there's this like famous saying um, about entrepreneurship and like starting a company where it's like, all you have to do is survive, you know, <laughs> like all you have to, the, your, your chances of success and like, you know, having some sort of exit or outcome that puts, you know, money in your pocket or, you know, bring some sort of celebration to you and your team like that, the chances of that increase the longer you stay alive. And I think that resourcefulness is absolutely critical as like the first and foremost quality because you can't take no for an answer. Like there is no such thing as hitting a wall. Like you have to figure out how to jump the wall, scale the wall, go around the wall. Sometimes that means like finding people that you need really quickly. Sometimes that means finding a new creative solution to like a longstanding problem. Sometimes it means like finding capital when you are running out of money. It looks different depending on what company you run and how quickly you're building your company. But like resourcefulness is absolutely necessary. I think the second one would be resilience, like internal stamina and resilience. I think that resilience can take very different shapes. I don't mean resilience, like burn yourself out to a crisp and just like keep going and don't take time for yourself. I factor things like, even though I hate the word self-care, like I factor taking care of yourself, let's say, into having resilience. So knowing what you and your body need to like keep going and sharing that resilience with your team is also really important so that they feel motivated and incentivized to keep going as well. And I think the third thing would be, I, I frankly think just like natural leadership qualities. Running a business can be really volatile. And especially once you have a team and you have employees under you, you set the tone. Like you, you determine how confident they feel in the future of your business. You determine how satisfied they feel at work in many cases. Obviously, you know, people have their own demons. There are some like inherently miserable people <laughs> you'll like never be able to transform. But I think ultimately, like being a leader means you take the L or you like sacrifice something for yourself for the sake of your team and for the sake of this like rocket ship that you're building. So I think resourcefulness, resilience, and leadership are probably the three most important that I would flag. Yeah, I definitely agree with everything you said. Very much so, very much so. You need all those three things and even more. But those three key th things <laughs> will keep you going on, yes. on the daily basis. And so I want to quickly touch on your book as well. And I love the title of it, How to Build a Goddamn Empire. Thank you. So, <laughs> exactly. So how do you, could you give us like a synopsis of what someone would expect from the book and essentially what was your inspiration behind it? Yeah, that's a great question. So first, I want to say the title is meant to be cheeky. The book features like my story and my experiences, but... I think what's more exciting about the book is I feature 30 other women-founded businesses of various stages and sizes, um, talking about all the problems that every entrepreneur has to deal with, no matter how big or small you are, whether that's how to lay people off, how to make hard decisions, how to elevate your brand, like when to know when it's time to spend a lot of money to grow your business um, and how to not be freaked out when you do that. And some of the founders featured are like really big 
you know, venture backed businesses. And then the other founders featured are running Etsy shops part time. So the title is cheeky deliberately because I think empires can be as big or as small as you want them to be. And I think my effort with the book was to show that starting something of your own is really scary. It's really intimidating, but I think it's really important to like have something to call your own, especially as a woman in this world. I really believe in like female financial agency. You know, my family personally fell apart after my parents divorced and my mom was unemployed for many years. And so I just kind of constantly think about like, what can women be doing to build a little bit of armor against these unfortunate situations where like the rug is ranked out, is yanked out from under them and they're kind of left with nothing. And so whether that means having like a small time Etsy shop that you update like every so often, but it's putting 500 extra dollars in your pocket a month that you can save, or you're building a massive venture back business that's making billions of dollars. Like either way, you're kind of putting yourself on a path that keeps you in control of your future. And I think that's really important. But I would say what to expect out of the book and the, the inspiration behind the book is when I started Bulletin, it was like, 2015, and I had just read Girl Boss, I had read Lean In, and a lot of the conversations around entrepreneurship and the entrepreneurs that we were meeting on the covers of magazines or on Instagram, they were so glamorous. They were all, I mean, frankly, they were all like established white women. They all seemed to have either like family funding or some sort of network that kind of like helped get them to where they were, but that wasn't talked about a lot. And I don't knock anyone for that, but I just couldn't relate to it. Um, I couldn't really relate to those journeys. And I think the other thing that was missing from those narratives is like how hard entrepreneurship is. Like if we're seeing, you know, a really well-known entrepreneur on the cover of Fortune or Forbes and she's in her power suit and she has her makeup on, like she's not telling you about when she had six months of credit card debt and like couldn't get her company off the ground. You know, she's not telling you at least at that time, you know, how she had to like be away from her son for a year straight because she was working remotely to get her factory set up. Like there's so much sacrifice and so many lows in entrepreneurship. And I wanted to shed a light on the realities of that roller coaster experience while still inspiring women to do this anyway. And I think the point of my book is this is going to be hard. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be very taxing, but like you will learn so much about yourself and you will come out the other side with a really valuable toolkit and skill set that will help you in the long term, no matter what happens to your company. So the book is structured around different chapters and different themes, as I said, that every entrepreneur has to tackle and go through. I go through my story, navigating those problems. And then you hear from these other amazing, diverse founders about their experience. And the goal is for anyone to pick up this book and be able to relate to someone. Like I'm very real about the fact that you know, most like a lot of people can't relate to me. I'm like a small, petite, white, blonde girl. And like, while I didn't come from family wealth, like I went to an Ivy League school. I worked at a tech company before I started my my startup. And I thought it was really important for other founders' voices to come through because I envision like a 14-year-old girl in step picking this up, regardless of how she identifies and feeling like, oh, I can do this too. Like this is realistic and this is possible. Whereas I think the messaging around entrepreneurship that I came into as a founder was like very glamorized, very unrealistic and very kind of like we we were seeing the like Instagram version of it, but not not the behind the scenes. Definitely. And I love that one thing that you mentioned, you said learning about yourself through the process. And that's one thing I can say 
going into entrepreneurship, this whole entrepreneurship journey that I didn't realize is something discovering yourself. Yes. Because it's, it's, it's a whole process. And I love how you said talking about the realities because no one really likes to talk about the bad things that go on or just like, you know, the things that you want to hide. Everyone will show you the Instagram version. Okay. Yeah. You know, I get to travel to New York this week or I get to travel to LA this week. But the, the real reality of it is maybe you have employees that you have to pay and you don't know where the next check is coming yeah, from. Yeah. <laughs> You know, all these different scenarios. And so it's very, I'm very interested and curious to hear all these different types of stories. And I love how um, you're taking different women from different perspectives and different walks of lives, because we can definitely find ourselves in at least one of these women's stories or learn from someone in, in a situation that we may find ourselves a few years down the line. And so just showing that you can make it through and you can also, you know, the reality is you do go through a lot of these things and you're not going to be the only one because again, like what you're um, saying is that glamorized version of everything. You may think that you're the only one that's going through it. Exactly. Exactly. You, it's very helpful to see, you know, the community around, okay, I've been through this. You'll you get through this. The book for me. I feel like you did a much better <laughs> job. And I love what you said about, That's definitely a part I left out when I answered your question. I didn't find it helpful to read about women who were like 10 years ahead of me in their entrepreneurial journey. I think based on our relationship and based on my relationship with entrepreneurs that have companies that have matured beyond mine, it seems to me like the most helpful guidance people get is when they're talking to someone that's like, a handful of paces ahead of them, like maybe two to six paces ahead of them versus like having some, you know, billion dollar exit founder as your mentor, like you're, you're kind of living on different planets. And that, that was a big part of the book too. And I'm glad that you emphasize that. Like if you pick up this book, you'll be able to hear the dirty details, the highs, the lows, the roller coaster from founders at all different stages of their development. But like the chances are most of them are just a couple paces ahead of you. They're not these kind of like otherworldly type founders that don't don't seem relatable because they're like very far away from where you are in your entrepreneurial journey right now. Definitely. And as you said, as you mentioned, the landscape changes constantly all the mm-hmm. time. And so <laughs> where it was 10 years ago versus where it is things have changed. And so just making sure that um, learning from as much people as you can, but then also just realizing that it's, it's more, it is um, very helpful to be able to speak to someone that has recently gone through s- something similar, just learn from their own stories. And yeah, no, I really like that. And, and your book seems so interesting. I definitely need to get a copy for sure. And I want, we're getting towards the end of our time, but I want to end it with a few light questions. Okay. So one of, one question that we do have is how do you balance everything and what is your daily process like? So every morning I wake up and I try to give myself like two to three hours before I actually have to hop on Slack and interact with my work calendar and with my team. So every morning I journal for 30 minutes. I know that sounds insane and like very woo woo, but it's, I'm a writer. So like to get any, I don't know, like 
residual energy, whether it's toxic energy, good energy, like out of my system and onto the page, it feels like a workout in a way. I do that. I go to the gym. I have coffee and I make breakfast. And then I always start my day with a list. So there's kind of a ranking system of like, these are the things I absolutely need to get done today. And if I don't get these done today, then like, we have a problem. There's kind of like the nice to have items where it's like, I need to get this stuff done by the end of this week. And if I have time and bandwidth today, I'll chip away at them. And then there's kind of like dream items on my wish list. So like that is a mix of like professional development stuff and like work stuff where maybe I know something needs to get done in three weeks, but I don't need to start it immediately. But then there's also like play stuff on there. So if I would love to take like an hour long walk in the park that will be on there. I just bought like a paint set on Amazon and like maybe I want to do some like freestyle painting, but I really try to organize my day where there's a really nice balance of like heads down focused work time, kind of manage checking in with my team, conversation time, and then like personal, what does Allie need time. I like that. And you know, I'm going to touch on the first point that you made that you journal. Yeah. And so I really, I'm actually exploring journaling and I tweet a lot. I have a lot of small thoughts in my head, but I never, there are things that I want to expand on. And then journaling is also very personal. Mm-hmm. And so <laughs> it's something that I've thought about. And do you mind expanding more? I know you said yeah. you're a writer, but like how how helpful has it been in as far as in your journey and being totally. able to see your thoughts on paper? So my journey with journaling, I've been on the journey since I want to say October of last year. So I've never really had major ongoing mental health issues or struggles. I definitely had periods of my mental health like declining and getting pretty bad in high school towards the end of high school. I had like a few periods in college and then I kind of entered a place mentally where like anytime I was feeling down or stressed or like really stretched thin or my negative self-talk was going crazy, I would just blame it on entrepreneurship. I'd be like, oh, this is normal. Like I'm a founder. This is going to happen. And then a light switch just kind of went off where I was like, well, what if I wanted to feel better every day and I didn't accept this as like a welcome default state of being? And then so I did a few different things to address my mental health, you know, a lot of them more like medical, more just like kind of standard, like this is what you do. And then I started journaling because I started reading a book called The Artist's Way. This is also going to sound a little bit woo-woo, but it's like basically written by this woman who did like creativity workshops her entire career. And then she took the content from those workshops and turned it into this book. And her perspective on journaling is like, you got to wake up every morning and just put a timer on for 30 minutes and like freestyle journal. Like don't judge yourself. Don't monitor what you're saying. Don't read your writing as it's happening because you're anticipating it for public consumption or that you're going to read it later. Never read back on your journals. Just like almost see it like a machine that can only move forward, not back in time. And so I did it religiously October, November, December, January, February for five consecutive months, pretty much every morning I did that for 30 minutes. And now I'm in a place where I know it makes me feel better. It doesn't feel like this disciplined, annoying thing I have to do. I love it. I love waking up and looking forward to my journaling. I like 
get a cup of coffee. I kind of turn it into a ritual. And now I only do it when I really, when I need it, which is still most days, but there, it's not like I'm, I'm, I'm not writing about work. I'm not writing about like anything that's going to help me later than the day. It's like, oh, what's my, what are, let me investigate the nuances of my dynamic with this person. Let me unpack like why I'm envious of that person. Let me try to interrogate like why the thing this person said to me yesterday, like pissed me off so much. So it really is just like digging inwards and not, I, I don't put any purpose into my journaling. It's, it's really just like, you have the 30 minutes, you have to get it out. I don't question what I put on the page. I just see what pops into my mind and into my heart. I write it down and I move on with my day. Yeah, no, that's, thank you for sharing then. Also the resource of the book that you mentioned, it's, it is very helpful to be able to let your th thoughts flow on paper and be able to, because sometimes, especially as we go through this journey, we don't reflect or we don't, you don't even have a moment to just stop and think, yep. Hey, why do I feel like this? <laughs> and so being able to like have that moment and 30 minutes out of the day won't kill you, you know? Nope just wake up a little bit earlier and do that. So I'm going to try that and I'll tell do you how it. that goes. I think it's especially <laughs> important for founders. Like what you said about the entrepreneur mentality is like, you're putting out fires, you're go, go, go. You're thinking about what's next. And like, we so rarely get to just sit with ourselves. And I, I truly feel like I became a new person <laughs> in like the five months that I really stuck to it and did it consistently. And it hurts in the beginning. You're like, oh, I don't want to wake up. Like, oh, I don't know what to write. But once you get into the habit of it, you just, I, I don't think I could go on the rest of my life without having like a clear journal, a nice fancy pen next to my bedside, like for, for the rest of time like that, I need it now. So big journaling fan over here <laughs> i love it i'll definitely check back into you and let you know how that goes for let me. me know but yeah so we're at the end of the call but or the podcast shall i say and do you want to end the podcast on any tidbits you dropped so many gems on this call i'm very excited for when we release this podcast but any last note any last ending yeah i i guess this is something like i'm registering more i i know that like I can on the one hand say things like, yeah, sometimes it's most helpful to like talk to and get mentorship from or read about founders that are like two to four paces ahead of you. I think simultaneously I have invested in reading books by like the founders of HubSpot, like the, you know, Peter Thiel, like I've read zero to one. And I think like there is an aspect of me that wishes I had read books from these like very successful and established founders sooner, just like scattered it more through my entrepreneurial journey, because I think it helps you think bigger. It really teaches you what it means to be a visionary. And yeah, I think I felt like intimidated by them and intimidated out of them because I was like, oh my God, this is like so far away from what I'm doing. Like these are, you know, massive businesses, XYZ, but I recommend it. I've like found it very inspiring in the last few weeks to go more that route. So yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah, no, thank you for that. And that's even a whole conversation in and of itself. But thank you for leaving us with that note. We will have all these rec book recommendations in the description of the podcast. But awesome. I just want to thank you so much, Ali, for hopping on this podcast and, you know, dropping knowledge and letting us know about your journey. I know so many people would learn so much how to start a brand and just like 
the the things that we go through on an everyday basis that aren't necessarily spoken about. So yeah. I want to thank you for being very honest and transparent and getting on this call with me um, today. And we really do appreciate you. And we'll see you again soon.